The Scottish Mortgage Podcast Invest in Progress is back. Join the managers and their guests as they go behind the scenes of some of the most innovative companies of our time. Companies like Climeworks, who are pioneering technology to remove carbon dioxide from the air. Or Zobi, who are at the forefront of a new era of aviation developing electric air taxis. Or Aurora, who are building software so that trucks can drive themselves. Hear from the leaders of these exceptional businesses on their vision and what the world could look like if they succeed. Available now on all major platforms. Your capital is at risk. Hello, I'm very pleased to be joined today by John Hustleby and James Klebster, who together run Lion Trust around £4.5 billion multi-asset range. Guys, welcome to the studio. Great to have you both. Hello there. John, uh, when we last met about three months ago, um, you said you thought the, the classic 60-40 portfolio, after coming under some pressure in recent years, was actually looking as attractive as ever. Do you, do you still think that's the case? If I was banging the table then, I should be banging it even louder today. Okay. I mean, the, the fact is that if you're looking at financial markets today, you are sport for choice, particularly for a lower risk investor. Uh, that's because of bonds, and that's because of what a brutal year 2022 was. So mm. 2022, interest rates basically rose. You know, in a nine-month period, you went from almost interest rates at zero to 5%. And of course, that created a lot of turmoil in bond markets, bond prices come down. Cautious investors, you know, really had a very brutal year in 22. But what that has set up is bond yields, an opportunity set, I don't think we've seen for a decade or almost perhaps for a generation that you know your starting point on yields is 5%. If you're a cautious investor, you're most likely to have more in bonds than you are in equities. Mm. And as such, you know, uh, if you're targeting let's say, you know, 5% as a as a return, which is a reasonable long-term return on an annualized basis for a cautious investor. Yeah. Well, and if you've got 50% in bonds, you're halfway there, you know, and so therefore you don't need your equity portion of the portfolio to work as hard as 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 it did previously. Mm. I think your question last time round came after 22, and it was a lot of you know, the death of the 60-40 portfolios. Right. And very, very quickly from that moment was like, no, it's not. Actually, you know, it's been pretty brutal, but look, the, these things are alive again. This repricing has created, as I said, uh, well, I think we're sport for choice and, and an opportunity I don't think we've seen for a long time. Okay. I well, suppose one thing I just asked was already in the, the fourth quarter of last year, there was a strong rally in equities, but also in bonds, you know, in the US, in, in the UK. So that, that's taken a little bit of, of the steam out of that, hasn't it? It's made it a bit less attractive. Is that fair? A little bit of the steam, but still. Only a little. Yeah, because whilst we've had the hint, I mean, Federal Reserve have given guidance. They didn't say they're going to do it. They've guided us that they may cut interest rates three times this year and markets have reacted to it. Mm -hmm. I think the point here is though that you know it's about being in the market and staying in the market. Of course, you know, for long-term investors, there's always a temptation of cash. Mm -hmm. But cash in the long term, when you compare it to equities, your main driver of growth in a portfolio, whilst it's outperformed, you know, some of the time, the majority of the time, equities have outperformed over the long term. Yeah. If you want to be in cash today, you're taking market timing risks. And there's two market timing risks you're taking. Cash, short duration asset. You don't typically uh, invest cash or put cash on deposit for any more than a year. Short term mm. maturity in that sense. When it matures, you're taking the bet, and it is a bet. We're investors, not speculators. You're taking the bet that basically your interest rate will be the same, or perhaps if you're 
maybe higher. I, I doubt it'll be higher, but it could be higher. Probably, probably speaking today, if the Federal Reserve is telling you that interest rates are going to be cut this year, it's going to be lower. The second bet you're taking is if it is lower, then basically financial markets, equities in particular, would have realized that and would have rallied a long time before your, your deposit matures. Right. You want some evidence of that? I'll give you some. November <laughs> last year, okay? November last year, at the end of October, James and I were sitting there thinking, you know, this is not looking great, is it? The world, inflation, mm. interest rates, central banks, higher for longer, all that type of commentary going on. A couple of bits of data change in the U.S., Suddenly, basically, the world is thinking that, you know, uh, interest rates are going to be cut this year. November turns into be the eighth best month for the MSCI world in dollar terms right. for the last 50 years. You wouldn't have thought that at the end of October that that was about to happen. Sure. So people holding too much cash got caught out. Yeah, we're going to see FOMO. We're going okay. to see lots of FOMO. Interesting. Um, well, look, but before we that gives us lots more to launch into. Before we do that... Um, It'd be great to get a kind of brief overview, and you do run a lot of portfolios of of, of your multi asset range. James, can you can you lay that out for us quickly? Basically, there are three sub ranges. Is, is that fair to say? Uh, a little a little more than that, but uh, yeah. So we, I suppose if we take a step back. What we do in in the team at Lion Trust is mm. run multi asset funds and portfolios. Mm -hmm. uh, and the, the, I think the three ranges you're probably alluding to there are the fund range. We're well known yeah. for the fund ranges, uh, which have a sort of a, a tilt from uh, the dynamic blended range. The, Sorry, the blended range, the dynamic passive range, uh, and uh, the explorer range. Yeah. As, but uh, you know, additionally, uh, and for over a decade, we've had uh, MPS at Lion Trust as well. So uh, you know, a, a broad suite of multi-asset solutions uh, in the stable. Uh, but they're all run off the same uh, process, the same chassis essentially, uh, which you know starts at strategic asset allocation, goes through tactical, uh, then you know manager selection, style selection, portfolio construction, and yeah. risk management, ongoing monitoring. So the team focuses on running all those different processes underneath uh, the sort of overarching process in in the multi-asset team. Sure, some using entirely passive, some using a blend, that kind of thing, right? Absolutely, yeah. Okay, great. And you, and you joined the team as, as number two in early 2021, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. My uh, my three-year anniversary is uh, next month. Okay, cool. And, um, you know, so so quite a lot of the the assets come from Lion Trust buying Arcatas uh, uh, a couple of years ago, right? Um, yeah, I suppose that's just, that's just another point. It's a fact. <laughs> that's, that, that, that's a fact. Um, okay, cool. Um I suppose, you know, to come back onto markets a bit, um, you know, in fact, uh, John, I'll, I'll bring you back, back in here. Um, something that's been made very clear in the last two years is just how volatile bonds can be. Has, has that made you kind of rethink your, your thinking at all about risk? No, I, I still feel, as, you know, as, as you said, you know, um, after 22 mm. uh, and after basically what we saw in terms of bonds. So two things about bonds. So number one, you saw correlation with equities mm. and if you were to conclude that 22 was a norm then uh, you are sort of failing one of the most important pillars of investing which is know your history and if you know your history then you can go back over uh, the u.s has got the best data you go back over 100 years and you find that actually that's only the sort of fourth or fifth time that's that's happened so it's happened four times previously you have to go back to 1969 to find the previous occasion. So okay. it's not the norm. The other thing as well is I think that, uh, you know, when we're coming for 
diversification. And I think diversification has always been important, mm. perhaps not so over a decade where US assets have dominated. But I think going forward, most definitely, we can talk about the reasons why, if you'd like to, uh, perhaps shortly. But um, diversification, I don't think anyone's ever promised diversification would work over a three-month period, a six-month period. But diversification ha works over the long term. You know, Again, 2008, diversification didn't do you many favors in 2008, but did work over the long term. Yeah. So I don't think necessarily we should be rushing away and thinking, right, you know, that bond equity uh, relationship is 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 broken forever. Mm. And as I said today, it's been reset and and reset today. That should central banks uh, and which may be the case, so there, you know, there's there's certainly a possibility of this. But should we find out that central banks have had the break on for far too long and they've broken stuff, you know, uh, i.e., the broad economy? Well, they can cut rates, and if they cut rates, guess what happens? Bond yields come down, provides protection for those cautious cautious investors again. Yeah. Okay. Um, James, you know, I, I expect you you you've had or are about to have your kind of asset allocation meeting. Well, for the quarter and, and for the year, really, um, as well as deciding kind of your, your tactical, you know, tactical allocations. What what have been the kind of two or three biggest debates? Or what do you expect them to be? Um, yeah, well, we, we we obviously go through our tactical process on a regular basis, and also, of course, uh, we will do it ad hoc if you know if if you know if, if we if, have uh, lives trust or something. Well, like if there's that. a big enough reason to do it, absolutely. So, um, you know, in the last uh, meeting, the you know the. The two or three main topic areas of you know your duration positioning and your views on uh, the the path for fixed income and rates and and the rest and then you know a, 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 an ever present and important part of our TAA process is thinking about which particular parts of the equity market look most attractive. So they're the two main areas that we've been sort of uh, having a, a large discussion over as a team on an ongoing basis, but clearly in our okay. uh, TAA process as well. Maybe yeah. Can you can you break down those a bit more? Maybe I'll let you pick one which which you want to speak about more. And John, you can pick up the other if that works. Yeah, well, should we start with fixed income? There's, sure. there's plenty to discuss there. I, you know, I think that we've been we've been actually pretty active in our um, uh, duration positioning over the last few years, as as you'd expect. And uh, you know, if you cast your mind back to 2022, which has sort of popped up in this conversation a few times already, you know, we were underweight duration then, underweight our sort of our guilt exposure in particular, taking the view that you know it was a an overvalued asset class, uh, and uh, you know we had that position right up until uh, early last year, where, as you saw, obviously the um, the moves up in yields material and got us into an area where the you know the levels of prevailing uh, yields, not only in the gilt market but elsewhere in sovereign bond markets and in credit markets as well, uh, were actually looking pretty attractive. So we moved from uh, scoring the the asset class gilt asset class, for example, a two out of five, which is how we. Uh, measure sort of our view of attractiveness with one being the least attractive, five being the most. We moved uh, gilts from being a, a two, uh, which they've been for quite some time, uh, to a three. Uh, and so, you know, we've actually started to express a neutral uh, view on gilts overall. And then within that, we've been sort of thinking about our positioning in terms of how we sit, you know, in, in and on the curve over the course of the year as well. So, you know, we've actually in December, uh, we started to take off a, a, a longer duration position we had through the sort of 
through the second half of last year. So, you know, as of today, when we sit and we look at the prevailing uh, yields available from from gilts and other government uh, bonds around the world, uh, to come back to the point that, that John made earlier, you know, it, the, the prevailing yields are actually fairly attractive. We maintain a, a neutral view on, on, on the gilt market and, and on uh, global bonds hedged into sterling as well. And then we think about the credit markets, uh, which really, you know, again, on the high yield side, uh, the 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 spreads there are pretty attractive. Uh, we had an overweight to uh, to high yield at the start of the year last year. We we trimmed that in the middle of the year. Uh, you know, feeling that you know while the the the, the overall spread was still fairly attractive, uh, you know they are the sort of lowest credit quality uh, part of the fixed income market, and so perhaps it's worth just sort of. Uh, improving the overall portfolio credit quality in an environment where prevailing yields are obviously much higher and the cost of capital therefore is much higher than it's been for many a year uh, but we remain positive on investment grade fixed income so we're sort of overweight uh, we're actually scoring investment grade four out of five in terms of our matrix so within the sort of overall uh, fixed income uh, part of the portfolios we have got a greater weight to fixed income tactically than we've had uh, for for the last few years and um, within that uh, actually a higher credit quality as well as as uh, government bonds and yeah. investment grade have cheaper. And, and why was it you reduced that long duration position a bit? Was that because you felt the market already priced in a lot of rate cuts? Or? Yeah, it's a really, a really good question. I mean, when we do tactical asset allocation, we really sort of want to think about doing it on a sort of 12 to 18 month view. Mm. We're, not, we're not trying to implement very sort of short term uh, positions. Uh, we tend to think that's a good sort of window for uh, these sort of trades to come to fruition. But as it happened, you know, we 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 were of the view that rates were high and they would start to drift down, uh, in which case having a, a longer duration profile would would be beneficial. Uh, and we we got to the end of this year and rates had actually moved fairly substantially mm. uh, towards the end of the year for, for the reasons we've talked about already in terms of the sort of uh, presumption of uh, potential cuts uh, into this year. Yeah. Uh, markets have moved on the back of that. And so we felt actually... Uh, it was a sensible time to take a bit of profit and, and, and act quicker than perhaps otherwise one would have done. Okay, thanks. John, going to bring you back in. A lot of the excitement's been about bonds so far. But yeah, you, you talked about, you know, we discussed various areas of the equity market which you're finding more attractive. I mean, where where are those? Basically? Yeah, as I said, I think you're sport for choice. I really do. Mm. Um, I mean, we focus on, if we think about our tactical allocation process, which is both quant and qualitative, mm. What do we focus on? We focus on valuation. We're trying to find something that looks more attractive than something else. And, you know, today, as I said, there's an, there's an abundance of that. So I think, today, is that kind of more attractive than the US? Or? Yeah, well, I, I think I think probably, you're, you're, you know, the, whilst the US market, broadly speaking, is probably fairly valued, there are obviously clearly parts of the US market which are uh, expensive in that respect and, you know, are not wanted to sort of talk about the Magnificent Seven for the next half hour in that <laughs> respect. But, Definitely not. And people's different opinions of them as well, because, you know, people make the case that perhaps they're still attractively priced, you know, mm. and, you know, you can you can take it either way. But I don't think that is the big opportunity for investors today. I think the big opportunity is, you know, there is value in value. And value, you start from the top down. Value is typically found uh, outside of, of the US. So within the US, you know, Again, there's a case for value investing, but actually outside of the US, uh, you know, there's a case for 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 value as well. So yeah. in 2022, broadly speaking, the world markets basically was dominated by value. Mm. In 23, the world's markets were valued were were dominated by growth. However, if you then start to break that down in 23, growth, where did that growth come from? Well, pretty obviously, it came from the US. 
because yeah. every other market, when you break it down, so if you want to break down Europe as a whole or break it into UK, Europe, whatever you want to do, you look at Asia and emerging markets, typically in all those other markets, valued outperformed growth last year. Mm. And, and that's something which I don't think perhaps has been uh, pre uh, yeah, appreciated by the market. Sure. The gap between value and growth uh, is, you know, at, you know, high percentiles in terms of, you know, uh, the best value we've seen for a, a long time. So there's good pickings out there. And if you want, uh, uh, you know, a good example of that is Japan. I mean, Japan, you know, I started investing in the mid 80s. I had a little uh, sort of... Uh, when Japan know, was you, starting to ride high. Uh, right? Japan was riding high to the early 90s. And really, it's been off and on ever since. But mm. today, when you look at uh, Japan, after many years, particularly uh, of uh, corporate governance being much improved, the fundamentals in Japan you know, look perhaps, again, you know, some of the best we've seen for a long time. There's plenty of value there. It's not an overcrowded trade by any means. And you've got a weak currency. Now, an attractive market with a weak currency is normally a good recipe over the long term for yeah. making some good gains. So I think um, it's a case of, you know, the last decade has been dominated effectively by mega caps in the US. We mm. see these trends. You know, we saw uh, in the in the early noughties, it was all about bricks and commodities. In the 90s, it was about the NASDAQ, you know, uh, and, and 80s was about Japan, you know, commodities before that, the Nifty 50 in Europe before that. Decade after decade after decade, you see a theme being played, a theme which is played out until there's no more buyers. And then they go on to the next thing. And I think we are just in that transition mode today where I think, you know, there is a lot of value outside of the U.S. I think it will be dominated by the U.S. currency going forward. We've got an election year coming on. And thereafter, there are some real fiscal challenges that not only go on in the U.K., that's a different story, but ones in the U.S. as well. And if that starts to weaken the dollar, well, that's going to help, you know, the rest of the world, emerging markets in particular. James, I'm going to put you on the spot with another manager question. Uh, the UK, a region which you guys and lots of other people agree is also undervalued. Um, you know, one of your preferred funds looks like the J.O. Hambro um, UK Dynamic Fund run by Alex Savides. Just this week, news, come, news has come out that a uh, well-known manager called Ben Whitmore, value manager, is leaving Jupiter and they've hired Alex Savides basically to replace him. What, what, what are your thoughts there? Do you think you'll follow Savides to Jupiter? I think, you know, taking a step back, if you manage a fund of funds or manager manager type portfolios, you will occasionally see manager moves like this. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's something that you need to build into your process and expectation that uh, it will happen from time to time. So, you know, the, the approach the team takes is to uh, assess all the necessary information, collate it together. Uh, we already have, you know, uh, uh, sort of a uh, routine in place uh, that we essentially go through at times like this to make sure that we sort of cover all the bases in terms of the information available to us uh, and assessing uh, all the options that we have. Okay, so wait and see, I guess. I think the key also is is not to panic. I yeah. mean, these are open-ended funds, mm. uh, you know, so they, they trade at their NAV. Um, you know, nothing really changes overnight. Sure. Um, you know, you could talk about the liquidity challenge perhaps as well. But again, you know, the, the fund is very liquid in that respect. So... It's first of all we, as we did yesterday, we, we are engaging with uh, with the incumbent, mm. um, you know, to see what they have in place, uh, you know, because it's if if we if we can keep with the same investment style and approach, 
well, that's that's going to be the most prudent way to to um, uh, to, to to manage the portfolio or to maintain the portfolio because it you know keeps the costs down, you know, um, frictional costs and those sorts of things as well. So uh, the first thing is not to panic. Mm-hmm. Um, and as as James said, you know, we we these things happen. We've seen them before, and no doubt we'll see uh, see them in the future as well. John, um, one change is that about a year ago, you hired uh, Hyman's Robertson, uh, the investment consultants, for, for input on strategic asset allocation. For, firstly, why did you uh, call in a big gun, so to speak, as I think you said a client uh, described it at the time? Yeah, I think it was a heavy hitter, but but big gun, heavy hitter, it's just the same thing. I mean, you know, the fact is earlier on, uh, you know, uh, we were talking about architects bringing, you know, acquiring those assets. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, we acquire a strategic asset allocation and a provider of strategic asset allocation. You know, we have a, an existing book, James talked about it, the MPS, the, the Managed Portfolio Service, where the strategic classification was being done in-house proprietary. Yeah. I think after the last 10 years that we've seen in terms of, of, of markets that I don't necessarily or we don't necessarily believe that that's a blueprint going forward and that you have to think about things differently. One of the reasons for that is that, you know, uh, one of our big themes is that globalization is now contracting, you know, and the world's going to be different. So the world no longer doesn't seem to be a world where we have low interest rates and low inflation, you know, and growth perhaps is going to be a little bit more erratic going forward. So I think you need a new strategic allocation going forward. In in 22, that was our feeling that we need to basically think about strategic classification going forward and think about, well, how do we bring together everything under one roof in terms of the uh, multi-asset funds, Mm multi-asset portfolios? And in order to do that, we felt that we needed to do a, a tender process to think about the future and get some ideas from others. And in that tender process, we invited uh, six uh, providers, six strategic asset providers, and Hyman's Robinson was the one that we felt was most appropriate for, to provide input uh, into our strategic asset allocation going forward. Okay. Uh, you know, um, I said we only talk about the short term when when things are going well, and in the short term, it's going very well, Jeremy. <laughs> okay, great. Um, thanks. What one other, I suppose, asset allocate, uh, asset alloc- asset allocation got there in the end question. James, you know, it looks like we could see some spot Bitcoin ETFs uh, approved in the US soon. This is now an asset class that, you know, asset allocators, multi-asset investors have to take seriously, right? It's an interesting question, Jeremy. I mean, the, the, the way we really look at it as, as investors as opposed to speculators is that it's, uh, it's an area that really sort of feels more like speculation than investment to us. And so it's an area that for now we, uh, we, we leave to speculators uh, rather than considering it from an investment management perspective. Okay, fair enough. Well, what would change that? Or is it hard to say at this point? I, it, I think it is hard to say, yeah. but but one of the things that would be easier would be easier to consider if you know I suppose you work it out whether it's a currency or an asset allocation. But equally, you want you know government to back it. You want you know, and, and I don't mean some esoteric emerging market government. Uh, and, you, know, you want you know, the US, the UK to back it, and. Uh, you know, um, and equally, I, I think some of these people want to make sure that their uh, Twitter accounts or X accounts are not are not broken into as well. But, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, th- thanks, John. Um, just a question on performance. You know, uh, as we, we as we've said, you run a lot of portfolios. You're on quite a lot of multi asset funds, so it's hard to get a single answer really. Um, you know, out of the six uh, explorer funds. Uh, I looked at the fact sheets and, and half have beaten their IA benchmarks over five years. I suppose broadly, have you been happy with performance? 
Yeah, I mean, the Explorer range is a range that, again, we have reviewed. We, we acquired them uh, along with the rest of the Architas assets in 2020. And it's a range that very much focuses on return, return-orientated, return-based strategies. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we had to review uh, was the, the actual sort of prospectus of the objective as well. And in doing so, we had to provide clarity because you know, when we looked at it, you weren't sure whether it was set up to return or set up for risk or what, what it was. So, so we took a shareholder uh, vote um, or we gave a proposal. That was February, March last year. Uh, that all went through. Um, and as such, we made changes um, to, to those portfolios, making sure that they sit within the right sectors and they compete with those sectors. The other thing we did as well is change the name, change the name to Explorer uh, and very much try to really, uh, you know, if, if the dynamic, passive and blended range are siblings, we try to make Explorer the cousin. Um, and doing something different. And I think the way that advisors think about risk, some think about it in those sort of volatility bands, but also there's a lot of advisors out there who think about risk on how much equity do you have in the portfolio. So one of the other key things that we did was basically put in the title the amount of equities that we would typically have in in those portfolios. Um, you know, performance of the higher risk explorer funds has always been good. Five years, and if you look over ten years as well, they're, they're good. Some of the challenges that we've got, and you know, we've already seen improvement, is in the lower risk portfolios. Mm-hmm. But that goes back again to the sort of strategic asset allocation, which was sort of determining risk and not return. So I think uh, you know we've made those changes now. Um, again, you know. Uh, short term is encouraging in that respect and we're pretty happy to sort of stand by the returns going forward uh, and you know looking to really see uh, improvement in those lower risk funds but really improvement with uh, no longer having a hand or two tied behind our backs okay um that 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 seems fair enough um i suppose la- last question from me you know it's clear from this conversation you guys have got plenty to think about in, in all, all sorts of things in the day job i mean maybe we'll start with you james what do you like to do to actually relax that's a great question i think if you, you know, have time yeah no do you have a bit of time for for that not a lot but um i think the first thing that we we both uh, share a sort of non-relaxing uh, support of tottenham hotspur so Aha. Uh, that's uh, an area of additional stress within the team uh, in terms of me with, with with my kids, I think you know most of my spare time is taken up with them. So I'm either sat by a swimming pool or uh, running up and down a rubber pitch. That's uh, that's most of my spare time at the moment. Okay, that sounds good. Uh, how about yourself, John? Yes. Yeah, so uh, yeah, besides from the football, uh, uh, you know, it's uh, it's golf for me. So I'm a keen golfer, always have been. So it's golfing, but. Uh, also, uh, I've just recently become a grandfather for the first time as Lovely well. News. So I think uh, uh, my time is about to change and probably I'll be sitting by a swimming pool and uh, running up and down. Maybe a football pitch, not a rugby pitch. I don't think they do that typically too much in Essex, but <laughs> we shall see. Okay, fantastic. Well, uh, great. It, it, lovely to see you guys again. Uh, and uh, yeah, thanks very much for coming into the studio. Thank you. Thank you.
The Scottish Mortgage Podcast Invest in Progress is back. Join the managers and their guests as they go behind the scenes of some of the most innovative companies of our time. Companies like Climeworks, who are pioneering technology to remove carbon dioxide from the air. Or Zobi, who are at the forefront of a new era of aviation developing electric air taxis. Or Aurora, who are building software so that trucks can drive themselves. Hear from the leaders of these exceptional businesses on their vision and what the world could look like if they succeed. Available now on all major platforms. Your capital is at risk.